Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. Our purpose is to show you that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're glad you joined us here for the conversation as we're challenged from the book of 1 Samuel to let God lead. Now let's hear what Kurt has to say. And welcome back, friends, to uh, today's episode, a brand new chapter uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, our study on letting God lead. And David is in a situation in his life where he is doing everything but letting God lead. He's taking matters into his own hands. He is in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing with the wrong wrong heart motive. And we're going to see how God in his grace rescues David. But I think I told you last episode, things get worse before they get better. Sin always makes our lives more complex. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 1. It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. So all the while, the Philistines are strengthening themselves. Saul is still the leader back in Israel. David is kind of doing his own thing down in Ziklag. And the Bible says, And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. It's an amazing thing that Achish, the king of Gath, (laughs) the hometown of Goliath, has been so bamboozled by David to believe that David is all things Philistia now that when the battle against David's own nation, the battle that David won against Goliath, remember now Achish is saying, hey, you're going because we need your help in this big battle against Israel. You know, we all know now Achish is completely hoodwinked. David's done a masterful job at pulling the wool over Achish's eyes, so to speak. You know, David has gone to see Achish after David's had these battles. Achish knows that David's a good warrior. It may it'd be great to have David on your side. And so Achish sees all that David's doing, what he thinks David is doing, although David's lying to him. But Achish now thinks David's his friend. And I would say, why, why would Achish not think that? I mean, everything David has shown Achish would lead Achish to believe that David is in his camp, David's on his side. And so you're right, Pastor. Achish is excited to have David on his side. And he thinks now that David has come so far that David will join them without any, without any difficulty. And do you think that maybe David was himself a little bit shocked by this? Never in his wildest imagination do I think that David would have thought that it would work so well, quote unquote, because now because of Achish's trust in David, David is really between a rock and a hard place. What do I do now? Because for him to refuse to go would be for him to admit, hey, this was all a ruse for him to go puts him in a situation where he's the anointed king of Israel fighting his own people. You know, what is interesting is you, we look at David's reply to Achish, what David actually says. Uh, and what David says, he replies to Achish, you know, it, I can see why Achish will take it the way that he does, but it's interesting to parse that out precisely and see what Achish, what David says, what David does not say. And it reminds me about manipulators, be careful of their language, what they say and what they don't say to you when they talk with you. Well, let's look at it. Verse number two And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. 
So David's response is somewhat nebulous. What, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think, what does that even mean, David? You know, surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. Yes. That says a whole lot of nothing yeah. to me. Right. Now, you know, if you were to say that to me, Pastor, we're having a conversation, and I asked you for help in something, and you told me this, hey, I would say, hey, Pat, he's going to help me. I would have no doubt about that. But it reminds us that manipulators use their language very precisely because they are trying to have some wiggle room in what they're actually saying. They don't, they don't use language like friends normally would. Achish's problem is, is he thinks David is his friend. He thinks that David is on the upright, that David is a good man, that David is a man of his word. And so when, when, when David says this, Achish thinks completely, David's on my side now. And yet David can maybe justify in his own mind, well, I never said I was going. I never said I was going to fight for him. I just said, well, you know, you'll see what I can do. You'll, you'll see how strong I am. So it, it's, it's not the, 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 the straightforward David that we've come to know. No, it is not. And that is what is sad is David is just continuing, you know, the subterfuge. He's just continuing this double life, so to speak. And it reminds us as believers, when we use our, when we use our language, you know, let our yay be yay, our nay be nay, speak the truth. Don't try to speak in a way that we can say, well, that's not really what I was saying. You know, you just misunderstood that. Uh, but we need to speak clearly so people know precisely what we are saying. And there's a lesson, I think, to be learned here from Achish as well. And that is, we hear what we want to hear. Yes. So Achish wanted it to be true that David was loyal. He wanted it to be true that David was kind of his boy. Matter of fact, Achish said, well, now you'll, you'll be the keeper of my head forever. Now I'm going to make you my special bodyguard. You're going to be my, spe- my right-hand man. Because think about what trophy that would be in Philistia. The, the, the hero of Israel is loyal to me. It makes Achish look really, really good. So honestly, you have Israel that is being led by a maniacal, self-serving man named Saul. And you have the Philistines, and I understand there, there are five different kings, but Achish being one of them is, is really similar to, to Saul. And that's a great observation, Pastor, that Achish takes this exactly how he wants to take it. And it, it does remind me that as we listen to people, you know, let's listen to what people say. If we ask, if we ask a question and we're expecting uh, some kind of yes or no answer, and they kind of give us an answer that's kind of convoluted, we better press on to see, okay, what exactly are they saying about this? You know, make sure that we're communicating clearly. Achish and David right now are not on the same page of life. Pride hears what makes it look good. Um, We have, you know, when somebody speaks well of us or glowingly of us, we like to think, wow, that person has great discernment. That person has so much wisdom. And Achish is hearing what he wants to hear. And when you hear what you want to hear, that's so easy to agree with that. Yeah, it sure is. People love to hear themselves flattered, so to speak. And, and you're right. Achish would think, you know, look, look what I've been able to accomplish. This you know, hardened warrior of Israel, he's now on my side. The champion of Israel is now going to be the champion of Gath. And so Achish really thinks that he has won David over entirely. Uh, but nothing can be further from the truth. So many times as we listen to quote-unquote counsel of others or even peruse news media, we, we hear not, not always what is true, but we hear what we want to be true. 
It's kind of like talk radio. People don't listen to talk radio because they are interested in the personality's opinion. No, they're interested in someone else stating their own opinion in a better way. Exactly right. You and I, Pastor, have talked about this more than once in our friendship, how that sometimes you, you can listen to some statements some politician makes, but then you see different sides report the issue, and, and neither one of them really are saying exactly what was said. They give it their slant to make it the most favorable to them that they want it to be. Absolutely. Watch how the story unfolds here in verse number three. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and uh, buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. So it's kind of like a non sequitur verse. The verse that uh, you know, the, the battle is being made ready in verses one and two. And then the battle is going to be put in array in verse number four. Verse number three seems like a non sequitur, that Samuel's dead, Israel had, had mourned him, and Saul had put away the familiar spirits. What do you see here? Seems like a little foreshadowing to me. Yeah, you're exactly right, Pastor. Whenever we reread a narrative and we find something interjected that seems kind of out of place, it ought to force us to think, okay, why, why is this in here? You know, what's this going to be? I don't want to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but you're exactly right. Any good narrative, with the Bible obviously is excellent narrative, when you see some detail that you're not expecting, it ought to make you think, well, I wonder why that's in there. What is that all about right now? This does have a purpose, and this is a fascinating story we're going to find throughout this chapter here of what happens. Samuel is gone. He's dead. We've discussed that before. Saul has done a great job of getting rid of all the wizards, all those that were not you know, the prophets of God, people that follow God. And Saul has done that well so far. It, it, it almost seems as if what the Bible is implying here is Saul has no options for counsel. Samuel's dead, so there's not the right option, the Word of God option. And then Saul has rightly rid the land of the soothsayers and the familiar spirits and those that to whom he would go instead of God. So it's almost as, as if Samuel has neither Samuel nor the familiar spirits. But as we shall see, Saul kind of avails himself of both options, <laughs> which is interesting. And we'll come back to that. But it is certainly a, a verse of foreshadowing. Verse number four, the Philistines have gathered. Uh, Saul has gathered. And the Bible says in verse five, and when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. His heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. So Saul was availing himself of every, what he thought right means by which to hear from God. And God was silent in Saul's life. I, can't not, I cannot think of a more scary situation than for God to be silent in my life. It is a, just a dire circumstance here in Saul's life. We think of Saul, the king who for so long, as we talked about in many episodes, Saul, the king that did not follow God. He lived for himself, took matters in his own hands, lived his own life. Now Saul is in dire circumstances. 
and he wants to get some spiritual guidance from God, and God's not speaking to him. It reminds me of people today I know sometimes who are not living for God. They're Christians. They're away from God. And then some tragedy happens, and suddenly they want God to get involved in their life, work out all their problems, and, but, they're, but they're not walking with God. And it reminds me that the way that we you know, stay in tune with God and have fellowship with God is day by day walking with Him. Saul's not done that for a long time. And Saul now, God is silent. And as you mentioned, that is very sad. Isaiah told us, behold, um, the, how does it say it there? The, um, man, I, I used to be able to quote this verse all the time. Give me a second, guys. The, lo- the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So it's not a matter of God's inability to help Saul. It's not a matter of God's inability to hear Saul. God's able to hear. He's able to help. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. And here's the, the, the scary part, that he will not hear. So this is not that God does not know that Saul is requesting or that Saul does, God does not hear the, the, the words that Saul is uttering. It's that God has chosen not to hear Saul because Saul has chosen not to hear God. And that's right on point, Pastor, and a great observation. And that is the problem people have sometimes today is they want God to hear them, but they won't hear God. And yet somehow they expect God to be hearing them in spite of their unfaithfulness to God. So what Saul should have done in this silence from the Lord is he should have used this as a time to plead for God's mercy. He wasn't coming to God in repentance. He wasn't coming to God for mercy. He was coming to God for direction. Lord, I want to know. Give me, as if nothing had ever happened. Hey, give me direction. Give me help. But, but he was avoiding the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room was his own disobedience and pride. God hears the humble heart. I think even in the situation of Ahab, later in life, Ahab was a wicked man. And yet in humility, he came to God. God forgave. God forgives the prodigal when he comes home in humility. But Saul is not coming in humility. Saul is almost coming to say, okay, I need God, now I need you. So give me some direction. And God is totally silent. And where Saul should have then expressed humility and repentance, he instead goes to his next resource. We won't have time to talk about that today. But uh, wow, Saul makes uh, a really, really bad choice. We'll examine that next episode. So hope you have a good day. Thanks for tuning in yet again. Looking forward to completing this story in the next couple of days. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If everyday truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.